in charities, you're coming from a place of, I have something to offer to these poor disenfranchised communities over there, but I'm not a part of them. And what we really try to do is break down that hierarchy and say, in this moment, everyone has something that they need and something that they can offer. And we're here as neighbors connecting. Welcome to the Be Change podcast. We're your hosts, Warren Goldstein-Gelb and Marcy Goldstein-Gelb. This podcast is for leaders and emerging leaders who care about social change and about how to make a great difference in the world. The podcast explores strategies, tools, and stories to help you strengthen your social change and nonprofit leadership skills. We're speaking with Jesse Norris, who is one of the early members Uh, member leaders of the Mutual Aid of Medford and Somerville Mamas, which was formed just at the beginning of the pandemic. It looks like March 12th, 2020. Is that pretty much the date that you consider the founding of it? Yeah. I learned about Mamas, um, Mutual Aid of Medford and Somerville, very early on when the pandemic was beginning. And it sort of felt like in the midst of what we knew was going to be a tragedy, though we really had no idea how horrible it was going to be. And Mamas was really that first bright spot. So I immediately joined in. Um, Our leadership, I'm sorry, our listeners um, are from all across the country. So can you tell our listeners what the network is and what it stands for? So yeah, mutual aid is about showing up and pooling resources to make sure that everyone has what they need and that everyone is able to find dignity and stability in their lives, regardless of where you come from, class, your ability to work, or whatnot. Um, and so at, what we're really aiming to do is connect folks with the different resources that they might need from grocery and medication deliveries to direct financial assistance. And those are like the two key things that we started working around. And then from there, it's really grown and we have folks that are working on housing justice. We have folks that are helping with childcare and pet care, or we have a hotline that is operational 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And then we also have kind of a language justice team that's really thinking about how do you support folks in different communities end to end and the different types of resources that Mamas provides. At first glance, your group looks like a charity that provides cash and services for people who yeah. need essential work done during, the, during this time, yet your tagline, like many other mutual aid networks across the country, is, quote, solidarity, not charity, unquote. Yeah. Can you explain uh, how mutual aid networks are different from traditional charities? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot a lot packed into that question, and I'm, I'm happy you asked it. I would say first, um, that kind of tagline isn't something that Mamas came up with. You mentioned that it's been a longstanding value of mutual aid as a concept since the beginning. The main distinction that we've seen is that often in charities, you're coming from a place of, I have something to offer to these poor disenfranchised communities over there, but I'm not a part of them. And what we really try to do is break down that hierarchy and say, like, in this moment, everyone, all of us, whether in a pandemic or just in our daily lives, has something that they need and something that they can offer. And we're here as neighbors connecting, not apart from the community that that we are supporting. I think that's the main distinction that that we like to draw upon. And, And so mutual aid networks and societies have a long history. When did it occur to you that you could apply 
this model in Massachusetts. Yeah. So this is kind of a fun, <laughs> the fun backstory of Mamas that I'm not sure a lot of folks know. Um, but one of the core organizers actually started laying the groundwork for this mutual aid network in the winter of 2019, 20, early 2020, developing something called the Snow Shoveling Brigade, which they were thinking about how can we support our different neighbors that need to shovel the snow and we need to organize to be able to do that at scale for a lot of different folks that might not be able to do this on their own. And so it really was like a neighbor to neighbor effort of shoveling snow anytime we had a storm. And then, you know, it was a pretty snow-free winter in Boston. <laughs> I think we only got maybe two or three storms. And so that foundation that some of the other core organizers had began then laid the foundation for mamas to really flourish once this pandemic started becoming more present. So it was really almost literally the calm before the storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You're a graduate of the Urban and Environmental yeah. Policy and Planning Department, as, as was I. Um, oh, cool. And so I was wondering whether... Uh, whether you were studying anything at, in that department that had to do yeah, with mutual aid. Yeah, I moved to Boston to go to grad school at Tufts where I did a joint degree in urban and environmental policy and planning and water resource engineering. And what I really focused on was disparities in access to water and water quality issues in Latin America, a little bit in the West Bank, and then uh, a bit in the U.S. And, and primarily focused on climate change and the impacts of flooding on our communities and where might we see the biggest impacts. So it was really focused on urban planning and urban policy and, and economic disparities. Those were a lot of concepts that really resonated with me, but I was like, wait, I didn't go to grad school for the urban aspect. I really care about water and environment. And then started recognizing kind of like how intertwined those are. I was involved in a program that we had called Water Systems Science and Society, where we did a practicum project uh, working with folks in the West Bank that had significant challenges with water quality um, in the refugee camps there. And I think that was probably one of the more formational moments for me when I was starting to understand how inequality really manifests itself in different ways across a community. And I won't get too big into the, the challenges within the Israel-Palestinian conflict, but did again start to see that that huge inequality between these two different forces and then the ways that really manifested in these communities and just having complete lack of access to water and, and clean water. So that then propelled me into a variety of different types of organizing work. But I started working for a tech company called Upstream that's a public benefit corporation really focused on larger scale water and environmental monitoring and, and management. Um, but we are a tech company and I started organizing with a group called the Boston Tech Workers for Justice, in which we are looking at what are all the different ways in which tech workers can provide solidarity to different classes. So that, through the work with Boston Tech Workers for Justice, was how I got linked up to MAMAs. And then within MAMAs started really focusing on our tech infrastructure and how that can provide a foundation for larger scale support to the different um, folks in our community. A key aspect of the podcast is to focus on organizations and movements that the way they operate reflects um, the values that they espouse. So a question that we have in terms of how you all 
operate and, and how decisions are made. Yeah. And especially in this remote, you're not sitting down in meetings, looking at each other in person and uh, yeah. working things out. And there's a lot of decisions that need to be made fairly quickly. Tell us a little totally. bit about the model and how decisions totally. are made. And I think this kind of gets to a lot of what we've been learning along the way, which has some, been something that we've also think about, like, what's the best way to share that and reflect upon it and then communicate out to the larger mutual aid community. But so when Mamas was founded, we had everything on publicly accessible spreadsheets and forms. And so people would fill out, this is what I need help with, and would write their name, write their contact information, write, you know, the exact things that they needed. And then people would see that spreadsheet and then comment and say, okay, I sent this money or I did this for them or I you know, can connect you with this. And then we had a form for people offering support and then another spreadsheet where people could see what are, what are others offering. We then, over the course of you know, those first few weeks, um, realized maybe this isn't the best structure for how folks could get the support that they needed. Maybe one, for privacy reasons, uh, might not want to put everything publicly accessible. And also we didn't have a really good way of following up to make sure that they were getting the support that they needed. And so that we then started growing into more of these different working groups around money, around deliveries, around housing justice, around childcare, pet care, um, and emotional spiritual support. And we found kind of coordinators to lead in each of those different regards. And so now people can fill out our form and then write out, you know, these are the specific areas that I'm looking for support in. And then only our coordinator is able to see that and then communicate back out to the community. You know, hey, we have this person that needs support with this and kind of making that link more directly. And then I think in that way, making it a bit more human. And so there's kind of a couple of different overarching ways in which from there we can make decisions as a larger group. And so we started implementing something called the spokes council model or decision-making structure, which I'm not sure if, if folks know about, but basically you have a lot of different groups and there are some overarching ones that have connections within each of them. So like our tech team is thinking about what are all the different services that we're relying on from Google Voice to Google Sheets to Trello. And then one person from the tech team is a part of the money team. And another tech person is part of the deliveries team. And another tech person is part of the hotline. So we can kind of like pepper in folks within that. Same with language justice. So we have a language justice member that's a part of each of those working groups as well to see where can we improve the accessibility of our tools and network with different folks and kind of figuring out, okay, within each of those working groups, what kind of decisions can I make? And then on a weekly basis, um, we have our all coordinators meeting in which one person from each of the spokes or each of the different working groups comes and talks about, you know, here are the updates, here are the challenges that we've been facing. And if there's a particular proposal, then we vote on that as a group in those Sunday meetings. Or it might just be a space to kind of troubleshoot. Here are the problems or challenges that we've been facing. Can anyone help us think creatively about what, what we might be able to do differently? So that's the general structure about how we operate and function and make decisions. And this is an all-volunteer group, right? Yep. Honest. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of us are balancing uh, full-time jobs like myself and others, you know, are recently unemployed, have a little bit more time on their hands or kind of like contributing in, in whatever way they might be able to. What have you found, if you can give an example of one of the biggest obstacles in creating a structure that appears to be set up to be as democratic as possible and inclusive. What Can you give an example of a challenge that you all faced? On the most practical level, it's, it's really, you know, 
who needs to be involved in what kind of decision making? Um, what things warrant a really large discussion when, you know, we might only have an hour and a half and what might be made within the particular working group? What we really tried to do is recognize, like, this is an experiment and we're going to keep trying and constantly be adapting and that we're all really doing the best we can and that we are adaptive when there are particular challenges that we might be facing. And so we've been rolling out different ways of communicating as a group like Slack or, you know, we all share a particular inbox for being able to respond to those requests. Yeah, I'm really struggling to think of like a particular challenge that has come up because I think at the core is really like, we are all doing the best we can given the amount of time that we have and trying to build in as much flexibility and adaptability for folks that might need to step back for a week. Maybe, you know, personal or professional challenges are getting in the way and it's really hard to stay present and focused and really trying to be supportive of folks in doing that and taking care of themselves. But I think, you know, it can be difficult to understand, you know, what is that ebbs and flows? And and really we built this network in, in the matter of the last six weeks and so are, are growing along the way, but really trying to be open and honest and communicative of when something might not have gone as, as smoothly as it could have. So one other distinction between mamas and, you know, sort of social services is that you don't have to prove your need. You don't have to sort of have mm-hmm. paperwork. And I was around when there was, uh, appeared to be someone from another part of the country, not in this area like multiple people with similar names. There was some sort of question about whether having everybody contribute individually to this person or these people uh, was going to be an issue. And so tell me more about that, given how you've tried to be so um, open and flexible, and yet this, this issue came up. So there's a couple of different things that are happening there. I think first and foremost is, you know, we started this an organization to support Medford and Somerville, but as we've grown, we have not necessarily like closed our borders at Medford and Somerville, but also been really supporting neighbors outside of that community. And then if there are mutual aid networks or other, you know, services that we can point them to, then we will, but we're not going to say, no, we cannot support you. Within the money scheme, we have had a couple instances where people are reaching out under many different names or they're coming up with different stories. And when we reach out to them as a human and say, hey, you know, what's going on here? Oftentimes, you know, someone might feel ashamed that they need more than what they feel comfortable asking for. So then they come up with different ways of trying to get the support that they ultimately really do need. And so we've had to have a lot of frank discussions with various people that have been, you know, reaching out under our network. And honestly, it just comes down to there is a huge gap in the way in which the government and other services are responding to the urgency of the certain crisis that people are in. And when you're able to connect with them as a human and just say, hey, what do you need? You know, you have to be honest with us or we're not able to really support you fully. Often that wall comes down and we can have that conversation and then are able to better understand holistically what they might be needing support from and then have been able to give them the funds that they might need or, you know, help them file for unemployment or help them negotiate with a landlord that might be pressuring them in certain ways. But we have changed the processes by which folks are able to ask for support. As I mentioned, we now have a form that everyone fills out. So we can, and that's like a first level of understanding where they're at and doing a little bit of trust building. We do follow up with everyone individually to have a phone call with them or some kind of text or email exchange. And then we as mamas are always posting on behalf of other people rather than anyone being able to email the, the listservs directly. 
just as a way to filter that and and make sure that what's coming through is something that we trust. (laughs) And I think those are some of the systems that we've put in place to work through that vetting process without necessarily having it be a barrier to entry for mamas, but really connecting with them as our neighbors to understand what they might need. So there are mutual aid groups around the country. Are you connected? I know that you have a form on your website that lays out tools that other groups might want to use. Are the lessons that you're learning from each other and how are you sharing those lessons? Yeah. So this is something that we've been reflecting on. And as we started getting up and running, we were like, okay, maybe this is a tech problem and we need to all be sharing the same forms and the same databases and and start sending information that way. And then once we pause and we're like, wait, we have to feel like we trust the people in these other networks to, to point resources there, point our community members there. And so then that's when we started building out more of like human to human relationships. And, and a lot of the organizers within MAMAs have been working with other organizations um, in Dorchester, Roxbury, Lowell, and otherwise. And so that became more of like a phone call and reaching out to them as humans and saying, hey, we're also working on this you know, where are y'all at? Um, can we start sending folks your way for grocery deliveries if they live in your neighborhoods? Or is that something that we might still need to be doing? Um, and building first that human connection to build trust and, and the relationship. And then from there can start more, you know, tactically sharing and pooling resources between organizations, but definitely have had open lines of communications across those different mutual aid networks, definitely within the Massachusetts area. And then nationally, there are a couple of different Slack groups and across Massachusetts, there's like a Massachusetts-specific Slack group. And so there are members of MAMAs that are actively participating in those conversations as well. And then as you mentioned, um, we do have a pretty robust how to replicate document, which a lot of folks have referenced. Um, and then reach out to us via email anytime that they might have any questions like, how did y'all get over this Venmo paywall? Or how did you get over that? And so we have those conversations via email or phone calls as frequently as can and, and do try to keep that documentation up to date so that other folks can can learn from where we've been and then also us being able to learn from different challenges that, that they've been facing. Would you say that MAMAs is part of a, a national movement? Is MAMAs, and this may be taking it too far, but is MAMAs part of a social justice movement? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say that's taking it too far. I think mutual aid networks have existed in many different forms for several decades. And so we're obviously building off of that movement. But I think this is the other part that distinguishes us, we are responding to a specific gap in how the government has been responding to this or how other social services have been responding to this and recognizing that this solidarity will only get us thus far. And then we are working with other organizations. We have communications with the cities of Somerville and Medford saying, you know, where are there larger scale demands of our politicians that we need to be making for a more equitable response to this pandemic and then for a longer term transformation and how we are supporting different communities going forward. And so I think if you want to say it's part of a long movement uh, and a long political and social justice movement, I definitely think that's the case. And, and one thing that we've been, you know, balancing at Mamas is we came forward first as like, we are here neighbors supporting neighbors, but there is an underlying political education and redistribution campaign that obviously we're not going to shy away from. Can you talk a little bit more about that when you're talking with other cities about redistribution? What's your advice been to cities about how to use funds in a productive way or how to create a model that's redistributive? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
gets to a lot of different aspects of our society. One is just the first challenge that we saw again, as I mentioned earlier, is just like the urgency. So governments are saying, okay, you cannot leave your house. Um, you cannot go to the grocery store. We saw immediate 98% of people in the restaurant and service industry had lost their positions pretty much overnight, which also means losing healthcare. Hmm. And so how are they supposed to eat and function with complete lack of income and complete lack of healthcare? And so I think underlying that would say, okay, well, maybe we need a more robust healthcare system that isn't tied to your employment. Secondly, there's no social safety net for folks when they don't necessarily have income. It can take you know, several weeks for your unemployment to get filed and processed and then for you to start receiving a paycheck. We've seen, I think, one of the core ways in which we've been organizing in the last several weeks is for housing justice and, and tenant unions. And folks that are renting, their landlords are saying, hey, you need to re-sign your lease for September. And you're like, hey, it's May. I don't have a job. I have no clue what September looks like. And so how to support you know, renters that are then trying to navigate that or might be facing eviction if they're not able to pay their rent for that month or pay their mortgage. And so there's, you know, different things like mortgage freezes or rent freezes or just solidarity across different community members that are finding themselves in this predicament and not really having a government or structure behind them to support their rights to have a home, to have access to healthcare, to have the ability to eat and feed their family. So I think those are some of the systems that we've been touching on and are trying to make sure that that folks are able to find dignity and stability when it's lacking from any other government or employment structure. It sounds like MAMA's started as a sort of a short-term organization or to address uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. But what you're describing now are sort of long-term visions for change. So the question is, do you envision MAMA's closing down after the pandemic or continuing on with a long-term vision and action. Yeah, I think that's a two-part question. I think a lot of the folks that are involved in Mamas have been organizing with a lot of other networks prior to being a part of Mamas, from Cosecha um, to other immigrants' rights groups um, or other housing justice groups and and whatnot. So we're going to continue doing that organizing work, both in solidarity with Mamas and outside of Mamas. And I think what we've realized over the last several weeks that we have started this uh, mutually network is like, this is really huge, obviously, right now for the pandemic, but beyond that, and we're trying to lay the foundation from which we can keep building upon and growing well into the future. I don't think this pandemic is going away. And I think, you know, a lot of the, the challenges that we articulated earlier aren't, aren't going away either. So I think you're right in that we do see a longer term vision for mamas and just trying to figure out what that looks like day to day. And I, I think we can all remember the moments where we can't really think a day beyond where we're at or, you know, planning one week in advance seems huge. Now we can, you know, see, okay, now I can plan, you know, two or three weeks in advance. Um, But trying to imagine, you know, where might we be in six months from now uh, just feels a little bit unrealistic. Great. Thanks. So this question has zero judgment, (laughs) Um, but many social justice organizations have at, at one of its core missions, uh, our goals is to have the people that are impacted as leaders and who are engaged in sort of the direction of the movement, et cetera. During a crisis, there's a hierarchy of needs and people are may, maybe more focused on, I've got to eat. So it's very hard to get involved in actions. And in, in fact, I'm part of the labor movement groups. And similarly, a lot of members of worker centers, it's challenging to have people involved in taking action because 
yep. so traumatized and yeah. in need of, of, of basic needs. So the question is, have you found that the people who have benefited from mamas, have any of them become involved? And if so, kind of, can you, can you give some examples about that? Yeah, totally. And I think that exactly hits on, on one of our core visions and, and values is that, you know, everyone does have something they can offer and everyone has something that they need in this moment. And needing something is in no way a personal failure. Um, but we are, as I mentioned, in a pretty unequal society without many safety nets. And so there might be situations in which folks just need a lot more support than they're able to give in that particular moment. But we we have had a, a number of instances in which someone received you know, funds and then was able to do a grocery shop for someone else or is able to join our hotline or, or someone called on our hotline. And they, we, after talking to them for a little bit, we realized, oh, you also speak Haitian Creole. We need a lot of support translating for the Haitian Creole community. Um, so now they've been providing translation services. So there's like so many different ways that you can plug in. And I think as you alluded to in your question, you know, we're all balancing a ton and our capacity to support one another might be a little bit uh, wavering or, or this week might ebb and flow. But we have definitely seen a lot of ways in which the folks that are receiving support are also then coming right back into to the community or just spreading the word, right? Like we have a lot of different ways in which folks can contribute to mamas and spreading the word is, is maybe by far one of the greatest. And so that's, you know, one easy way in which folks might not have a lot of time or can still contribute to mamas. So I definitely think that that, that has been happening and, and we have a lot of examples in which it did. How can someone connect with the group as a volunteer or as a donor? Yeah. So how folks can get involved, there's a couple of different ways. You can always check out our website, mutualaidmamas.com. And I'll also make a plug for our hotline at any point. You can call 339-545-1315. And even just calling the hotline, you can say, hey, how are you doing? And the person on the other end would probably like to hear a friendly voice. But also if you want to answer the hotlines, that's another way. And then we have a lot of different Google groups that are primary listservs for each of the different areas that I had, had been talking about. So anyone is allowed, you know, able to join those listservs where you'll receive daily emails about, okay, here are the deliveries that need to happen for today. Can anyone lend a hand? Or these are the folks in our community that could use uh, financial resources or, you know, here are the folks that need someone to walk their dog. You know, it really varies from the type of different support that we could be providing. So yeah, on our website, you're able to see all of those different listservs and, and join those groups. Also, uh, we have a, a money transparency spreadsheet where you can see the overview of how much money we have available, how much money we've redistributed. And so to date, we've redistributed about $161,000 since March 12th. But at this exact moment, we only have about $245 in our bank account. Folks can donate to Mamas through a variety of different means, and then we'll redistribute that. But we also do really promote or, or support folks just giving directly to their neighbors. Um, so us having you know, low money in our communal pool doesn't really mean much in terms of how much is, is being redistributed. Great. Fantastic. Thank you yeah, for being there. Thank you so much, Jesse. It was really, really great to speak with you. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for joining us on the Be Change podcast. If you like the show, subscribe on whatever podcast player you are listening on and on our website, b-change.net. Please follow us on Facebook and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks to our producer, John Consilio, and to our partners, Somerville Community Media and Boston Free Radio.